Hear now the Holy Gospel according to John, the fourth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Nice to be here again. I always think of uh, uh, Siri being here. Some of you maybe remember that. And she was ordained here, too, into the ministry. So uh, this is a special place. Nice to be with my brother, too. And Heidi, hi. <laughs> um, recently, I read a really good book uh, called Sometimes Brilliant by Larry Brilliant. That's actually his last name. Um, true story. Uh, I've never heard of this guy until I read the book. Uh, somebody around my age, uh, the book is, uh, he talks about his life. He grew up in the 60s. He was a true hippie from, uh, from California. Um, and uh, he did become a doctor. Uh, he studied, but instead of going into residency, he, uh, he would rather go on a hippie bus with wavy gravy from Woodstock uh, out all the way trying to get to Bangladesh to help people. <laughs> um, I think a lot of drugs were used along the way. Um, but he got sidetracked, um, and he joined a, a community in northern India around a holy man, uh, Maharaji. And uh, he thought that he would probably be there for a long time. Although Maharaji one time looked at him and said, Dr. America, that's what he called him, you need to go to the UN in India and stop smallpox. And, uh, well, it's kind of a long story, uh, but he ends up, uh, because of the uh, continual um, uh, kind of commands from the Maharaji to connect with uh, the UN in India, um, and in 1975, 76, and 77, he ends up on the front lines of eradicating smallpox from the world. There was only at that time, India as well as three other countries were the only places where smallpox still existed in the world. People thought it was impossible to eradicate it from India. Millions of people, poverty, superstitions, combinations of how do you ever stop that? It's a fascinating story, and he did it. 1977, he visited the last person in the world, a little girl who still had smallpox, and then it was done. He's, you can't help but like him. He was a spiritual seeker. He was Jewish, or is Jewish. Um, he, he spent time with the Hindus and the Maharaji. He was blessed by the Buddhists. And he had some interesting connections with a Catholic priest and a Lutheran pastor in India. But whenever he would get with these uh, religious people, he would begin to ask this question, how does God relate to suffering? Because he was almost overwhelmed. Um, I didn't realize how bad smallpox was. I grew up and, and it, it seemed like I, I never heard about it here. You know, it, it killed almost 80 to 90% of anyone who was affected. And it was ter a terrible disease. So he was seeing so many uh, suffering children. And he said, 
How does God relate to this? Does God, God cause it? Does he allow it to happen? Does he, does he, is he you know, powerless to stop it? How, and how do you worship such a God? So he was asking some of these big questions, and, and people were trying to respond, and there were good discussions. One holy man said to him, don't try to understand God. Just try to see God in everyone you meet. You know, that's kind of not a, not a bad way to live. Um, because when you think about it, the creator of the universe, are, are we going to be able to understand uh, the God of the universe? The, some verses in Isaiah almost suggest this. Um, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours and my thoughts than your thoughts. It's kind of like, wow, maybe we shouldn't even try to know God or, or understand God. Um, but of course, there's always seems to be people who do. It seems like whenever we have large events like hurricanes and 9-11, there's always somebody who seems to exactly know the mind of God. Um, and they usually have some bizarre um, statement, which always directly reflects their own views uh, about what God had in purpose here. Yet, it, it isn't really helpful if we don't really know who God is to try to see God in other people. I mean, what would we be looking for? I think there's the difference, certainly, between claiming that you know the mind of God and trying to get a grasp of who God is. And, 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 and especially since our biblical witness is that God is a God who wishes to have a relationship with us and reveal things about God's self. I mean, the Bible certainly was written by people, Jewish prophets, priests, and poets. But it's not as if they were just trying to make up stuff about who God might be. They were encountering this God. And it's really a journey of a people trying to understand um, how God was revealing himself uh, and sometimes speaking through people. And what comes across in the Bible is not an emotionless God, not an apathetic God, not a, a, a trickster, vengeful God, but a God who is struggling to love his people and had a vision for them and wanted them to be a blessing, wanted them to be blessed and to be a blessing to others. So also in Isaiah, it's kind of like God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. But then he says, now let me share some thoughts and ways with you. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return without watering the earth, making it bud and flourish so that yield seeds for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty. That sounds like a determined God. But will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose of which I sent it. It's like there's kind of two messages, you know, that there, there are thoughts that are, that are way above you, but at the same time, God wanted us to know something here. Rain, water, and this is the metaphor is used. Rain comes down to the earth, and it doesn't do nothing. We know that if we're gardeners or we just look around. It makes things grow. And God is saying, my word, my will, my purpose, that goes out of me and into the world of people and goes to the earth, it will not do 
nothing. It doesn't just go to the earth and accomplish nothing. There is a purpose, and it achieves that purpose. And so what we're, we're hearing about is a God who is passionate for the world and for people, wanting to be involved in our lives with results that God is going to make. You know, we're near Christmas, um, the time when we celebrate Jesus' birth, and sometime uh, probably the Sunday after Christmas, maybe, or there's going to be the Gospel of John read from the first chapter. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. We hold dear that Jesus came to earth as the Word of God, from the heart of God, not for nothing, but to accomplish and achieve a purpose that God talks about. And, and is dedicated to, it will not return to me empty. So we might ask, what does God wish to accomplish? You know, I, I've gotten to know an Iraqi family, um, refugee family. Um, and I'll try to say his first name. Mahalad. <laughs> I practice that. And his wife, Raunak. Um, They've been here about a little over a year. They came from, uh, he, he fled for his life from Baghdad, um, went to Turkey, was joined by his wife and two children. They're in their early 20s, um, uh, late 20s. Uh, two girls, and they came to, to the United States uh, about a little over a year ago. And I got to know them uh, through uh, helping at a food shelf. And I've connected with them a number of times. Um, we did invite them uh, to spend a uh, you know, over for Fourth of July because he's quite dedicated to this is my country now, and I and and uh, I want to know it. Um, he did um, right a week before Thanksgiving. I got a phone call from him, and he invited my wife and I to Thanksgiving at their house. Um, you know. He knew, he'd heard the Thanksgiving, he didn't really know much about it, but it's kind of a big event, and I'm sure he was, he was wanting to be, um, uh, uh, you know, friendly and probably searching for a way that they could enter this part of American life. But you could, Thanksgiving is huge. I mean, I, I would go and talk to every one of you, and you would know in the last 50 years, 20 years, exactly what you're going to be doing on Thanksgiving with your family and who you, whose house you go to. Uh, and certainly that was, my plans for Thanksgiving were certainly set. Uh, and uh, I have three children, series one of them, you know, there's seven grandchildren, uh, you know, we were going to be in Bloomington at her house. And so I told him, uh, you know, I thanked him, but, but, you know, we have plans. And then uh, after the, I hung up the phone, you know, I, I, was, I became immediately very conflicted inside, uh, if not emotional, um, and, not, and trying to understand it. Uh, you know, and I knew here is a guy who, and they're reaching out for friendship and community. But, you know, there was another reason that I, I, was, I, I, I was reacting the way I was. The night before, I had had a dream, and yet I can't really call it a dream because all it was was a phrase. Um, usually in a dream, you know, you have a situation. You're in the shopping mall or you're in a high school play and you don't know the parts or something. Um, or there's people in it. But all I had in my, this dream was a phrase. I will be 
a point of grace. It's not a phrase that I would come up with. And so I remember um, in those early morning hours thinking of the phrase and wondering who had said it because no one was visible in the dream. I'd forgotten about it as we usually do. Uh, we wake up in the morning and we just get on with, with our day. But after the phone call, I immediately thought of it again. It just came in there, and I, fr and I will be a point of grace. I heard it, and so it's somebody else saying it, but when you, when you say it out loud yourself, say, say it out loud with me. I will be a point of grace. All of a sudden, the pronoun, I, is you. So, all, so when I said it out loud, I thought, oh, man, I knew exactly what I, I needed to do, um, so I checked with my family, and it was all fine, and I, I invited them to Thanksgiving dinner in, in Bloomington at, at our house, and, and we had a good time. Everyone was on board. It was really good. And, and now I, I share this not, <laughs> I mean, it's not that unusual. Uh, there's a lot of people who had probably somebody here, maybe a Thanksgiving tradition is you're always inviting strangers and, and, and um and, and lonely people to be with you. And people sometimes spend the whole Thanksgiving serving meals for the homeless. So, so this wasn't so unusual. But for me, it was important uh, for a couple of reasons. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not necessarily a mystical person. Um, much of my life seems to be lived in ideas about my faith. The world doesn't necessarily seem that supernatural to me. But I liked what happened. I guess this affirmed to me that life is more than what you, just what you see at times. Life is mysterious, but to be sure some of that mystery is spiritual. It involves a movement of love, a touch of grace, a call from God, um, which again is mysterious. And yet it's nice to think of a God who is involved in life. And there are times when you're definitely pushed in a direction. I like this passage of Isaiah very much on a number of levels. Um, and this image of, of uh, the, as the rain come down, comes down, it does not do nothing. And the statement here is, my word will not do nothing. It, it, it speaks to me of a, of, a, of a determined God and a passionate God wanting to be involved and wanting us to take it personally that God is really saying to our lives, your lives will not return to me empty. Now, in an old way of thinking, we, that might be scary. We might, we might say, oh, no, no, I've got to get busy, and I've got to make God happy with my life. But that doesn't seem the emphasis in, in this Isaiah passage. It is more like my word through Jesus and the Spirit will blossom your, and grow your life, and it will not be empty. I hear this as grace. Certainly our lives are filled with stops and starts and imperfections and lack of courage, actions sometimes not brilliant at all. But in these words I hear God saying, I am with you. Through my love, forgiveness, and Jesus, uh, I wish to wrap you up in a purpose. We may ask then that question, well, what is God's purpose? Um, and I have come to really like the phrase the, the, that Jesus spoke of, be compassionate 
as I am compassionate. It seems that what God wishes on one level is to, to show the world his purpose that God is a compassionate God. And certainly we, we see this through the whole life and death and resurrection of Jesus. I am compassionate towards you, abundant forgiveness and love. This is who I am, the Holy One of Israel, the Holy God of creation, a compassionate God. And then another part of the purpose is not only showing that God is compassionate, but to call us to be compassionate. Some of the verses that I have often loved to me, the big verses of the Bible, um, and God has shown you what is good, do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with your God. Who was a neighbor to the man taken by the robbers? Go and do likewise. I was hungry, I was thirsty, I was naked, I was a stranger, I was in prison, and you gave me food, water, clothing, welcome. If you do it to the least of these, you've done it to me. Love one another as I have loved you. It just seems that there was a huge message for us that our lives in bearing fruit and being watered by God is to be compassionate people in our lives as individuals, as a church. I read this morning, it was interesting, Pope Francis wants to change one part of the, the Lord's Prayer. You read that? Do not lead us into temptation. Um, often, uh, that's often been debated, uh, that phrase. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, in a way, it's kind of weird. It says, what, lead? God's going to lead me into temptation? No, no. What kind of a God is this? Trickster God. Um, Jeremias, an old a New Testament scholar, pointed out that Jesus most probably, he didn't, he didn't speak English, certainly, and he didn't speak Greek. He may have spoken Greek, but he wasn't teaching in Greek. He would have said in the Aramaic word, his mother tongue, nision, which actually has two meanings. In Greek, it only has one. So lead becomes what's, what we have. But it really has also a meaning of do not permit us. It's like, I think Francis is right on. Lord, hold us back. Don't let us take that path, is really the, the phrase. That God is for us, not trying to trick us into something. To me, this captures, again, this sense of who God is revealing himself. I'm fully capable of going to bad places, but hold me back. Stay with me. Keep me on the right path. In this season of Advent, we look forward to celebrating uh, the God who poured out his word. And uh, the word Emmanuel comes. Emmanuel is God with us. It is not God against us. It is not God unknown to us. But is God for us and come to us. Amen.